Good morning. It's good to see you this morning, Southwoods. Uh, you know, one of my very favorite restaurants during this hot season of the year, in particular, is Dairy Queen. <laughs> I love the ice cream blizzards that they have. I love the dip cones. I love the ice cream cakes. There's not much about Dairy Queen that I don't like. I, I really like it. I, in fact, this morning I want to share with you a story. It took place, a true story. It took place a few years ago at Dairy Queen, and I love the story. So uh, I, I think you'll see why. But young man by the name of Joy Prusak was working the register at a Minneapolis area Dairy Queen that he managed a few years ago. As he was serving customers, he noticed that a blind man in line dropped a $20 bill on the floor, just slipped out of his hands and pocket, fell on the floor. A lady standing in line near the man quietly bent down, picked up the $20 bill, and then slipped it into her own pocket. Just 19-year-old Joy Prusak, the store manager running the register, saw it all happen, so he paused from what he was doing, approached the lady, respectfully asked her to give the $20 bill back to the blind man. She refused, quite aggressively, claiming it was hers all along. True story. So Joey did something very kind. He quietly opened up his own wallet, pulled out a $20 bill, handed it to the blind man. The man took the money gratefully, Dairy Queen resumed normal business operations, but not everybody in the store was normal, you know? It's just like it affects you to see something like that. Customer in line observed the whole episode. She notified uh, the Dairy Queen senior management of what had taken place, what Joey had done. They, when they learned about it, they posted about it on Facebook. The company did, and since then, the event has gone viral. And let's just say, there's a lot that can be said, but let's just summarize by saying Joey has had numerous opportunities from adva for advancement ever since that moment. Uh, it's the sky's the limit for Joey. Now, here's my question for you. Isn't generosity like that a beautiful thing? That a young man would open up his own wallet, pull a $20 bill out of his billfold and give it to a blind man who's being cheated. Isn't that, isn't there just something sweet and beautiful, attractive, heartwarming about that? Here's the other part of the equation. Isn't greed, it would take $20 from a blind man, ugly, and despicable and broken. And there's just something in your spirit that you just say, this is wrong, it should never be. What on earth is going on inside of this person that she would do something like that? Hasn't he already had enough taken from him? Interestingly, the scriptures tell us that if you and I are going to become more generous, which is what we're talking about today. If we're going to become more generous, each of us, we, we need to guard ourselves when it comes to this area called greed. If we're going to succeed at this, we've got to deal with greed inside of us. 
Greed is the great threat to growth and generosity, according to Scripture. And Jesus, through his teachings and example, he helps us want to overcome this threat. See, one of the challenges for you and me is not how to do it. I mean, most of us understand what it means to be generous. The challenge is wanting to. It's changing the desire within, within us to, to such a point that suddenly I'm willing to, to part with that which I otherwise cling to. And Jesus increases our desire to become good and godly in these ways. And so this morning, we're going to learn from him some in this matter. If you have your Bible... Open it to Luke chapter 12. We're going to learn from Jesus how to struggle less at becoming the generous person that, that we all want to be, that we all really know how to be, but struggle to become sometimes. And so uh, Luke chapter 12, we're going to listen to Jesus as he tells a famous parable. You've probably, some of you I'm sure have heard it. Maybe some of you have never heard it. It's a fantastic parable, though a little uh, abrupt and traumatizing in a way. But uh, as some of Jesus' teachings were, Luke chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 13. My hope is that you will listen close and that as you listen close, Jesus will do something inside of you through his teaching and his, his presence, his spirit's presence to help you become more generous as we teach and work through this together this morning. This is what the scriptures say. Someone called from the crowd, teacher. Please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. I just want to pause right there. Just about a month ago, I did a message about two brothers. Do you remember the two brothers? There's the elder brother, and there's the younger brother, and we call him the prodigal. What happened? Before the father dies, the estate is divided. How did it go for the prodigal? Not well. He was the one who wanted the estate divided among them, and the father did it. Here we've got another incident, and this is not coincidental, I don't think. I think, I think this whole, very little of Jesus was coincidence. I mean, it sort of happens for purposes. And so verse 13, someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother, who would be the brother who could divide it? It's the older brother, right? Tell my older brother to divide our father's estate with me. What's going on inside of his heart? This is the first clue that Jesus has before even knowing the rest of the story. He knows that his brother, his younger brother, is wanting, he's wanting what he doesn't have right now. And he's appealing to another authority to try to, try to pressure his brother to do what he wants. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Jesus knows before he even gets any further the southward trajectory of this guy's heart and what's going on. Someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told him a story. A, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Jesus says, you fool, you will die this very night. 
then who will get everything you've worked for? And then Jesus summarizes by saying, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, we'll read a little bit more in a few moments, but before we go further in the passage, I want to draw your attention to a few interesting, somewhat random observations of what we've just read. And it's important that you kind of hang with me and just track with me as we work through these real quickly. First observation that's right here in what we've already read is, I want you to notice Jesus is not eager to be anyone's judge. Did you notice that? Some of us don't think that way about God. Do we? Some of us think about Jesus. We think about God. He's just waiting to get us. Our mindset is he, he's looking for the next slip up, for the next mistake, the next wrong word that I'm going to say, the next wrong way I'm going to relate to somebody in a relationship. He's, he's just waiting with eagerness to get me and judge me. And what I want you to see is Jesus in this peril even models that it is not the Spirit of God to want to judge anyone. He's patient about such things. It's, it's not his nature to be that way. Maybe it's your parents' nature that you grew up with. Maybe it's your nature consequently because you become like your parents against everything you've ever said your whole life. I will never do what I saw my father do. But now it's you and you go, What's wrong with me? It is not in the nature of God to want to be judgmental. It may be in ours, but it's not His. It's important that we see that. It's also important, though, that in the very same passage, we see that God is not always passive when it comes to sin. You say, well, that's a contrast. Well, yeah, it is. There are instances when he will judge someone. And we see it right here in the text. Verse 20, God said to this gentleman, you fool, you will die this very night, then who will get everything you worked for? Clearly, there are times when God will judge someone. We see it here. We see it in other instances in Scripture. For one reason or another, you know, he strikes Uzzah dead when he touches the ark. I mean, we could talk about a long list of these kind of times when you see God judge instantly on the spot. And, and we would, it would give us pause and we would say, why would he do that? And, and we're tempted to judge that he will, to conclude that he will do that in all instances. When the truth of the matter is that he's very reluctant to do this, we see. But he will do it sometimes. Because of all of this, though, according to Jesus, another observation we make in the text is that we're wise if we guard ourselves, if we take a defensive posture, particularly when it comes to greed. Because I want you to notice one of the instances where God chose to radically intervene with judgment was what in this text? A situation of greed, right? With Uzzah in the Old Testament, it was regarded to his holiness and the fact that he wasn't following protocol with the ark. And we could talk about other things, instances when, when God chose to judge. And we'll talk about some more of those in a few weeks in, in another message. But what I want you to see here is that we're just wise if we guard ourselves, take a defensive posture when it comes to greed. Verse 15 says, beware, Jesus says, guard against every kind of of greed. I suppose you could do a series if, if we wanted to on every kind of greed because according to Jesus, there are multiple kinds. 
You see? It's right there. Not just one. I mean, sometimes we just, we think to ourselves, excessive materialism, and that's greed. If we had time, we'd work our way through Proverbs, and we'd see stinginess is greed. Paints a picture, as Solomon does, of the person who has a big banquet, invites everybody over to dinner, somebody's sitting at the table eating dinner, and uh, the greedy, stingy person is sitting there watching every, every morsel that you're putting in your mouth. It's almost like tallying. That's the third bite of pasta. That's the third piece of steak. You know, just that, that, that the stinginess degree. So excessive materialism, stinginess we see, possessiveness if we had time to work our way through the text, other texts and others. I mean, there are all these forms of greed and Jesus wants us to understand greed is a bad thing. It's an ugly thing. And he just summarizes by saying, life is not measured, verse 15, by how much you own. It's important that we understand that. Some of us have lived life at times in our lives where it's like money and things and companies and possessions are status. They're an illustration that I'm winning the game and Coral use losing the game. It's, it's a measurement of how much I own is what life's come to mean to us. Jesus is saying this is a manifestation of greed. Do you see that in the text? Life is not measured by how much you own, which means if you're measuring your life by how much you own, you're infected with greed. A lot more could be said, but let me just summarize by saying from God's perspective, greed is a foolish thing because 20, verse 21, he just says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Just saying that's a foolish thing. Now, with that context we can read on in Luke 12. Because immediately after Jesus makes this point rather emphatically with his parable, I want you to listen carefully to what Jesus says. Because he's talking about greed. And look what he goes on to say. And then turning to his disciples, verse 22 tells us, Jesus says, That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food. Just pause for a second. Life, life is more than all the things we can accumulate, he says in verse 15, right? And here he's saying life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens, he starts illustrating. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for God feeds them. You're far more valuable to him than any birds. And all your worries at a single moment in your life. And if, and if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? And look at the lilies and how they grow. Another illustration. They don't work or make their clothing. It's Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and 
thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? He keeps going. Don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. And then he gives instruction from here on out. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything you need. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. And so then he gives another instruction. He says, sell your possessions, and look what he says, and give to those in need. Be generous. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. I mean, Jesus is brilliant how he teaches. And he speaks right to the human condition that you and I struggle with day in and day out. And we just think to ourselves, you know, how are we going to put the food on the table? How are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to take care of our kids? How are we going to pay for college? How are we going to, etc., etc. right? This is how we do it. And he just deals with all of that and he summarizes by saying, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Don't be afraid. Sell your possessions. Give to those in need. And with all of that in context, I want to quickly highlight two important questions related to all of this that are found in the earlier parable. They set up just great questions and just hang with me and just ask these of yourself. The first question that's asked in the parable is by the wealthy farmer, and he asks, what should I do with my wealth? What should I do with it? I don't have room for all of the crops, all that's come in. And if you remember, his decision was, I'm going to expand my storage capacity, build bigger barns. I'm going to take it easy and relax. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And I hope by now that all of us will notice that was a bad decision. Though that was a common conclusion then, just as it would be a common conclusion in our day. It was a bad decision, a poor decision, largely because the heart was wrong. And the farmer died because he lived by a standard that was not God's standard. It's important that you and I ask ourselves, what am I going to do with the wealth that God has entrusted to me? We're tempted to think to ourselves, I'm not Warren Buffett. I'm not wealthy. Right? This is not how we think. I'm not Bill Gates. I'm not wealthy. You know, I'm not, you know, fill in the blank. Whoever's the CEO of your corporation. What you have to understand is that uh, Jesus doesn't even give a name to the farmer in the text. Because he was a random old farmer, just an average person who suddenly found that he had a little more than he really needed. And it was his conclusion that I'm going to keep all of this to myself. We need to ask ourselves, what am I going to do with my wealth? And we need to remember Jesus' words, seek 
the kingdom of God above all else. It's not coincidental that Jesus goes right to, he, he doesn't start talking about vacation homes and all this other stuff. You know, campers, you know, have a travel trailer and we think about these things. He, he doesn't go to those kinds of categories and start blasting those. What he does, it's interesting, he starts talking about the worries of everyday life, food and clothes and and uh, stuff like that, the things that dominate the minds of people all over the world all the time, the most basic, common things. And he's just saying, you don't need to worry about those things. I got it covered. Seek first the kingdom. Don't be afraid. It's as though he's just saying, be at peace to sell things, to give to people in need, because God's going to give you more of what you're giving away. So it's the, that's what he's saying. Don't you see it? You and I need to remember Jesus' words if we're going to become generous, if we're going to defend our hearts from greed setting up shop within us and clutching that which God may wish for us to let go of. Now, for any of us who hear what Jesus says, and we think, yeah, that, I see what he's saying, and I, it makes sense what you're saying, and I'm still a little reluctant to follow Jesus' counsel on this. You ever been there? It's significant. God asks a second important question. It's really, he asks it through the farmer in the first part of the parable. He asks an important question himself in the parable of the farmer and us, and it's pretty direct, and he just says, who's going to get everything you've worked for? You just say, you, know, you are going to die. Who's going to get it all? You don't get to take it with you. You and I know that. You've heard the, the, the uh, old joke, you know, you've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse. You just, they, don't, they don't make them tow vehicles for a reason, Right? Several years ago, I came across a photo that uh, has sort of haunted me. I think I, ha I plagued you with it one time several years ago, but this is the, the photo. H.M. Pete Niebling. I, I don't know Pete, uh, but he wanted his epitaph to be, who, who, he who dies with the most toys wins. What's wrong? Think to yourself, what is wrong with this picture? He did not win, did he? I mean, he may have all the stuff, all the stuff that he imagined, but there's new stuff been created since he died in 2006. I could name a few of those things. Uh, he probably never messed with Netflix. He's not, uh, he, he never had an iPhone 10. Uh, so, you know, loser, big loser. You know, you, you, you see, this is, this worldview just doesn't work because every one of us is someday going to die. We don't get to take it with us. All we've done with this epitaph has gone through life hoarding, potentially. And because we're going to die, it makes greed foolish. It really is. It just exposes it for what it is. So what are you and I going to do to guard ourselves against greed? What are you and I going to do with the resources at our disposal? I hope this morning that you can hear from the teachings, the example of Jesus even. He's encouraging us to seek his kingdom first. He's, ex 
encouraging us to become more generous. He encouraging us to pursue a rich relationship with God because in the end, that's the person who wins. In fact, it's significant that the passage talks in terms of when you store up your treasures in heaven that way through generosity and through blessing others and so forth. You look at verse 33 in your text, if you've got your Bible open, he just says, when you sell your possession, give to those in need, this will store up treasure for you in heaven and the purses of heaven never get old and develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. He's just saying you do take it with you. It's the conundrum of the spiritual life. That which we give away, we get to keep. And we're free to keep anything we want to keep. But keeping has consequences in eternity even. So Jesus is appealing to us. Recognize the beauty, the blessing of generosity. I think today he's even saying, learn from a 19-year-old store manager of Dairy Queen. Look at that and just let it tug your heart and, and maybe pry our fingers a little bit. Just pry our fingers like this. My prayer is that God will help us to be increasingly generous because generosity is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Our world would be such a better place if generosity abounded and greed was no more. When it's like that, by the way, it'll be called heaven, right? right. God wants us to bring a little bit of heaven to earth right now. He wants to do that through you and me. Let's stand together. It's significant Jesus sort of summarized that first section by just saying it's, it's foolish to accumulate things and not pursue a rich relationship with God. And I don't know what, how you'd describe your relationship with God, but I think it's not coincidental that he chose the word a rich relationship with God, which is to say one that is meaningful and deep and where you're invested and you know, where you're really all in. And maybe this morning, part of what God's appealing to some of us for is just to, to put the rest of our hearts into that relationship with him. Maybe part of that is just learning to be generous, but part of that is just opening our heart to him and just saying, Lord, here I am. And this thought went through my mind. Maybe the person who took the $20 from that blind man is listening today. And I just want to say to you, if, if you're that person, maybe it's $20, maybe you've taken something else from somebody that in your heart this morning, you hear that story and you just, oh, I just want you to understand, you may not be able to find that person and make it right, but... God has put us all in a place where if we just come clean before him, uh, this is the one application to this, like you can pay that forward. 
you can give it to somebody else in Jesus' name for that person. And God understand and your soul be healed and the person be blessed and the kingdom advance and God look at you and say, well done. Now you get it. I mean, life is a process, as we all know, where we learn and we make mistakes and then we learn from them. I don't think it's God's desire or mine or any of us to beat somebody up who's made a mistake like that. If you, if you took that $20, find somebody else who's blind. Make it right. God will honor you for that. It's part of what it means to have a rich relationship towards God. Let's walk that way. It's a beautiful way to live. Let's bow our heads and pray. If you need prayer for something afterwards, we're happy to stay around and pray and bless you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your patience. Thank you for your teaching where you clearly underscore the importance of living according to your way of life. You make it clear in Scripture that you want us to live that way now and in eternity, that's unequivocally the way it will be happening, the way life will be. Help us to embrace your way of living now and we might be ready for it when you break through the heavens and part the clouds and make all things right. We want to be ready for that day. Thank you for every person here, Father. Would you pour out your spirit on us? Would you help us to live generous grace-filled lives like you lived. And uh, we thank you that at least in our little corner, our little sphere of the world, it can be a better place as we do that. Father, wherein any of us have embraced greed in the past, today we renounce it, we reject it, we choose generosity, we want to live that way. If there are wrongs that need to be made right, make them clear to us by your Holy Spirit and give us the humility and the courage and the faith to do the right thing. That we might know freedom and peace, that your kingdom might advance, we might be laying up treasures in heaven, that we might have a rich relationship with you. Forgive us for our many shortcomings. And bless us this week as we endeavor to walk in your ways. Thank you for your grace. We're grateful. And we lift this prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.